0: Welcome to G-Talk. dedicated to helping you discover your purpose by helping you build intimate relationships and a lifestyle of thankfulness. Listen to us today as we discuss a new challenging topic aimed to encourage you and to challenge you, but most importantly, to build you up in your relationships with each other and with God. Stay tuned. Welcome to G-Talk, and we are your hosts, Terrence and Derek Clark. Well, this is Terrence coming to you today again, and I just want to say welcome. I'm so glad that you are able to join me today as we uh, continue to work and teach on the area of Book of Revelation and just the church and how God wants to speak to us. Um, you know, as we get into this week's uh, time together, I just, you know, get to that third church. I just want to start with a few things that I think might be helpful for us as we really dig into uh, the teaching. First of all, you know, I remember growing up and, and having a relationship with my own father and thinking many times things that he had given me to do or things he had laid out for me, I felt like were, you know, his way of punishing me or his way of, of, of being just difficult, trying to make things hard in my life. And it was later on as I grew older and became a father myself that I, you know, even began to learn that his 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 purpose and his goal was always to see that I could become better and do the things better and he was teaching me how to become responsible he was holding me accountable he was watching the things that I was doing offering things that uh you know he felt was was best for me and I think a lot of times uh God is, well, I know God is like is is this way but I think we oftentimes misunderstand him and I think Revelation is one of those books that we do I think we easily look at the book and think well, here's this really, you know, hard God who is really just want to lay out these laws and tell us about what he's about to do to us and hurt us and and all those things. And really that's not the message of the book. And there's so many times where I listen to people who, who have read and I did the same thing myself many years as I studied the book and and got to know people that you know, great theologians and so forth who I've read. And sometimes we, we, we get stuck Trying to figure out all the details of the book and miss the real heart of the book. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's really easy to like, you know, look at each church and pick out each piece of it, and then go through the different chapters and begin to see different pieces and say, okay, you know, what are the locusts and what are this and you know, and you and you start getting and it it turns into a study where you just are trying to uncover the hidden pieces. And it becomes like an equation, right? We, you know, we men can be mathematicians in that sense. I think we're, we tend to be left brained. And so we are so sometimes rigid in, in finding the detail, but there's some things that we need to learn. And I think we can receive and understand that, you know, God is trying to communicate and Jesus tells us it's a revelatory book. It's a book where he's re- revealing who he is. He wants us to understand him. He wants us to know him. He wants us to know what's coming. And if we can stop sometimes and and look at things from that perspective, that he really is trying to teach us and show us his love and prepare us for what's coming. And this, I think, as we can shift our way of thinking to see that and see his love and see what he's trying to do. I think it would make a ton of difference in how we approach the book and how we approach our time with him in studying it. And there wouldn't be so much fear and so much, you know, there's such a fear in around it and, and the question of people reading it and, and so forth. And so let's just dig in today with that as a mindset. I think uh, it's important because this is a re- as we get into this week, it's going to be a real challenge. I'm going to tell you, it's going to take me a couple of weeks. I'm trying to get it done in two weeks um, because Pergamus is a really uh, powerful study and everything begins to shift. And we take a look, you know, we've seen the church that was persecuted last week and then we looked at Ephesus before that a church that was really struggling with its first love and some dish de- and some decisions that it had made and we're gonna we start getting into a very difficult and challenging church and, and as we look at Pergamus, but the we need to keep focused on the idea that the lord is really teaching us and preparing us for what's coming and there's some things that he wants us to really take a look at and make sure that we understand so let's Let's dig in. I'm going to start by reading it, and then I'll come back, and, and we can kind of look at some things. So he says this, And to the angel or the messenger of the church in Pergamus, write this. These things says, He who has the sharp two-edged sword, I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you, because you have there those... Who hold the doctrine of balaam who taught balak to put a stumbling block before the children of israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the nicolaitans which thing i hate repent or else i will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth he who has an ear let him hear what the spirit says to the churches to him who overcomes i will give some of the hidden manna to eat And I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. That's uh, Revelation chapter 2, 12 through 17. And so now we we dig in a little bit this week, and I want to do the best that I can because there's a lot of moving pieces, a lot of information. And I want to focus on really what we've been talking about, which is the things that I feel like are important for us to see in the church that God is really wanting you and I to hear and receive from him. And I know there's a lot of pieces that I can pull out, but I, and I do need to give some background. So let's do that a little bit. Let's talk about Pergamos, you know, because why did Jesus choose Pergamus? Why would he, you know, again, he, he chose these seven churches for a reason. And as I've talked about the last few weeks, it's important that we understand that several things are happening. We have, we have the time period in which John is writing, so he writes to seven churches. Pergamus is one of the seven churches at this time in his life. And these were issues that they were dealing with. He was dealing with particular issues. Everything I just read were things that was specifically being dealt with by that church at that time. But on top of that, we see seven different time periods. And so we also see... That as Pergamus, which we're going to talk about was really the, the the time period is we're going to say around 300 AD and goes to about 600 AD, give or take, you know, right in that time frame. Right. And so there were things that were really pertinent at that season of time that this uh, church really speaks to specifically that the church was going through at that season. But on top of that, the third thing is that he wants you and I to receive the very challenges that they were going through. They're very these very they can speak very specifically to what you and I are going through. OK, and so we see three different things that we need to see what was happening then, what was happening in the time frame of the church. Um, and then what was happening in the 300 to 600. And then how does that speak to what's, what you and I are dealing with today? So with that in mind let's talk a little bit about pergamus because let's talk about let's talk, let's talk about what was happening then okay so first of all pergamus what you need to know is that it was a spiritual hub in that region and the reason why we call it a spiritual hub in that region is because they had a lot of pieces that were going on to, primarily they they had built a n- numerous temples okay and it was, it's important that we understand that the reason why they built those temples, first of all, they were dedicated to worshiping the emperor. And so they had numerous, at least three, mostly, possibly four, uh, different temples that were that were built specifically in mind for the purpose of worshiping the emperor. This is important to understand because this is a time in which. It was a very successful, very affluent area. It was an area that was, you know, obviously these were beautiful temples and those weren't the only temples that they had, but it's important to get and hopefully understand that what the church was in the middle of, okay? They were in the middle of a place that highly valued Rome, that Rome looked to and that they they worshiped, right? They worshiped Rome, they worshiped the leaders in Rome. And therefore it really put some contradiction with the church. Now remember that the, that the, 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 the message to this church is that they're compromising. Okay. This is what we call the compromising church. And it's important that you and I pick up this piece because that has a lot to do with us today and the mistakes and the challenges that we need to be careful about the, the place of compromise. Okay. So remember that the word that we started with was Jesus says, um, uh, as he speaks to them in verse 12, um, he says that, the, you know, the two-edged sword, right? He starts with this. These things says he who has a sharp two-edged sword. Now, if you remember when John saw Jesus, where was a sharp two-edged sword coming from? His mouth. And so there was a big, you know, there's a big piece of this that has to do with the word of God and how we are dealing with it. We're going to find that this was a huge piece that happened in the church that that John is writing to but most importantly between 300 and 600 this was a huge part of what began to change and we were at a we're at a major shift in the early church during this during this season of time and so it's important to recognize that at the basis of it was the worship of false people right putting people in a position that they were not or should not have had. And so you have this community of people worshiping the, the emperor. But on top of that, you had two other temple types. Well, one was, um, the temple that was dedicated to, uh, Athena. Athena was a goddess and she was considered the goddess of wisdom, the goddess of intellect. She was also considered the goddess of war. And it's very, very important for you to understand the goddess Athena because, well, let me come back to her for a second. And then there was another, there was an altar of Zeus. The altar of Zeus is what is considered to be and where we believe that word, the seed of Satan is is where Satan dwells. There's a lot of pieces here that speak specifically to the demonic and the things that were taking place. There was what was called also the sanctuary of the asclepians the, the asclepians <laughs> it's like okay these were it's it, it's i mean it's things that you and i could never even begin to get our mind around but let's let's talk a little bit about it because it's what was happening then it has a lot to do with what jesus was saying so let me go through each piece so first of all we have the goddess athena the goddess athena OK, there was a temple to her and she was a Roman God. But as it so turns out, she is also a Greek God. And it's interesting and important for you and I to get a hold of this because. It's often, you know, I like to talk to people sometimes do will say, well, you know, we've we've matured beyond that. We don't we don't worship idols anymore, you know, da da, da 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 But wait a minute. So check this out. If in your own time, do a study, do a quick, you know, go and Google. the the great seal of California and what you will find on the great seal of California is there is a woman at the very middle of the seal. She's the highlight of the seal. She's clothed in Roman garb. And who do you think she is? Her name is Minerva. Minerva is the same person as yes, you got it. Athena. They are the same person. So why would California have on their seal? minerva or athena if we no longer worship these gods and you know this like there's things that i wish we could as believers if we would begin to study some of the very things that we're doing we're going to find out that there is a we are not you know what's the scripture say that we wrestle not against flesh and blood flesh and blood but against powers and principalities and rulers and high places we are really dealing with spirits and these these spirits don't go away we are still wrestling with the very same things that the early church was wrestling with and very, very similar. There's some very similar connections between what you will find in a lot of going on, what's going on in the, in the heart of California, in the heart of our nation is very much connected to the heart of Rome and the heart of Greece. And these are important for us to understand because Jesus was telling the story through John in this church, Pergamus. Listen, you guys need to be careful. You need to understand how easy it is to compromise, how easy it is to find yourself doing some things that you didn't even know were leading you down the wrong path. Some of it is very, very clearly leading us down the wrong path. But then there are other things that I don't think we really understand. And there are things that we need to understand. And with the reality that many of us don't even look at this book because we don't feel like it fits, we're missing some very important pieces that if we took some time to do some historical studies, we would be amazed at the connection between Rome and America. There's some serious connection. And so this, this Minerva, uh, this, uh, you know, Athena, is she is connected to the to women power women in power she is connected so let me give you just a quick rundown she was considered the daughter of zeus but interestingly she was never born she well when she was born she was born as an adult according to the way she was born um, she came out of the head of zeus and came out as a full woman right and and therefore um, you know this intellect, this knowledge, this power. She really became the picture of women in authority and women in power, and so forth. Isn't that interesting that as we see this in California, but there's also connection with Zeus because Zeus, this this altar of Zeus is where there was it was kind of twofold. Okay, with the altar of Zeus. Now remember, this was a literal altar that was in this, you know, in the city of Pergamus, okay, in Pergamon It was literally there. And so you had this place that was used and it had multiple uses. So let me tell you what the what the Temple of Zeus looked like. It was a giant bull, okay? It was hollow inside, but it was huge, right? Had the horns and so forth. And they used it twofold. Because it was hollow in the center, they could actually Put people inside of it, and what they would do is they would, you know, light a fire. You know, light a um, yeah, a fire, and they would literally cook people inside of this, like being in an oven. They would cook people and kill them this way, torture them, and w- the horns. You know, the, the 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 steam. What do you call it? The 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 smoke of these individuals would literally come out of the horns and the nostrils, and it was like a it was like a a form of a, it was a ritual. But they would, you know, and you can hear the moaning and groaning and so forth of the people being killed, slaughtered in this thing. And they used it as a method to, you know, of course, bring great pain and bring, you know, death, but also as a way to to to, um, you know, bring to sacrifice to the gods. Right. And on top of that, they had these horns. There was a place where they would put children. So it was a place also where they did a lot and mainly probably more than people. Maybe they killed more of their children. It was used as a place of sacrifice. They would put the children, babies, we're talking about infants. Okay. They would put on these and it was a way to appease the gods in order that the gods would bless them so that they could be fruitful and that they could be successful they would give their children's lives in order to bring their own success. Now, I don't have time to go down this road, but there is a lot of connection between this and a lot of what we're seeing in our culture today because again, like I said, we are facing and we are against a spiritual battle. This is not flesh and blood. Sometimes we look at, you know, things that are going on and we go, you know, and we start trying to to fight something naturally which is, but it's really a supernatural battle. And this is a supernatural battle. There's something about giving the blood of children that has to do with empowerment to these particular gods. And so I'm going to tell you right now, there is a connection between Minerva and Athena and Zeus with abortion and with women in power, women lib. this whole, it's if you take some time to study and go and you would be amazed and what often happens, and I think what's happening in our culture, and I get it, I 100% agree that women have been held down, that they have not been rightly treated and, right, and fairly treated, and that men have taken advantage. And I, I agree 100%. All I am saying, and it's important for us to understand, is we don't understand the spirit behind what is being said. It's being said in a way that most of us can agree with and go, oh, yeah, yeah, it's really important that there's equal pay and that people aren't being treated right. and da-da-da. But what we don't realize is that there's something else that's behind this whole thing that's taking place. And many of us are getting caught up in it, not realizing that there is much more, that there's a spirit of Minerva, there's a spirit of Athena that's really in, 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 in power here. And you're going to find that it's so tied up that there's things that we need to understand because that's what Jesus was saying. He's like, I'm concerned. He's like, I, I get it that you guys at least, you know, you you didn't you didn't become uh, like this, uh, you, like the the martyr, right? And he mentions Antipas. Now, Antipas, uh, from what we've been able to, you know, for what history tells us about Antipas, Antipas opposed what was taking place. In fact, he so his prayers were so effective according to uh that so uh, let me let me back up. Because I haven't told you about um the sanctuary of the, Asclep- As- the Asclepians, right? So the the Asclepians, so here's here's what they believed, right? They believed that 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 people, people who were sick, right? So people came and if they had illnesses and sicknesses, they would come and they had like these, um, I guess what you could call, like what we would call today, you have these, you know, these, what's the heat, the springs, hot springs, but it was more than hot springs. So these people would come, they had illnesses and they would come there and they had a bed of serpents, right, a snakes that they had put. They were not poisonous snakes, but they were, you know, literally thousand, thousands of snakes they would have. And these people would come and they would sit in these springs and they would receive, you know, um, I don't know what to call it. But, you know, these springs, you know, these springs bring healing. They have a healing power. And then they would drink this ointment. And after they would drink this ointment, they would go and they would lie amongst the serpents. Right. So you see what Jesus is talking about. You're sitting, you know, you're you're in the you're in the bed of of Satan, right? He's like you're right in the heart. He's like, how does he say this? It says, you dwell where Satan's throne is, right? Okay, so <laughs> I, I hope this is making sense. So these people, they would come, and then when they would when they would they would go off, and you know they were like this 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 thing that they drank would make them. I don't know what to call it. Like it would put them in a, in a state where they were like, just, I, I, boy, what's the word? Like when you go like an, like when you go and have a, you know, anesthesiologist, you know, put you under, they weren't under, but they were somewhat under. And so they would lay and sleep with these serpents. And so many of these serpents would, would, they would, what they believe is they would receive an impartation from these serpents And so, and I'm trying to keep this as short as possible. This is deep folks. I mean, it's deep. So they would receive this impartation from these serpents, but the whole idea was that through these, these serpents, they would become, they would get healed. If you received an impartation, it took place in a dream. You would receive dreams from these serpents. So here's what happened. Antipas, Antipas had a prayer life that was literally affecting the power of these, um, these serpents. And so what happened was these serpents began to appear in the dreams of those who were there right getting getting their healing and the and these serpents or these dreams they were they the serpents were telling them that they were unable to to fully act out in their power because their power was being hindered by Antipas. Antipas's prayer life. And so as a result Antipas was keeping them from truly functioning in their power and in their authority. So they ended up trying to, they took him, they took Antipas, Rome, um, they went to Rome, Rome gave them the authority. they took Antipas and threw him in to the bull. and they and they killed him. they right They murdered him, you know, as a sacrifice in this bull, he was, you know basically destroyed. Um, and that was the end of Antipas. And so this is all happening in this time period. And that's what Jesus is talking about at this point. So as I try to close out this first, this first week about this, let me just highlight something I feel like, um, maybe would, with, with all that's going on, it's just that there were a lot of moving pieces with how they were, uh, with what was going on in that church, you know, or I should say in that city in Pergamus but it created an atmosphere that caused people because then we bring in the piece about the sexual immorality and holding on to the doctrine of the Nicolaitans and Balaam, there's, there is a connection. And if you see our culture today, you can see the same connection. Okay. There is a connection that, that Jesus is trying to get them to understand how important it is that they do not make this mistake that they do not get stuck and realize he's like, okay, the things I have against you. Right. He's like you're holding to the doctrine of Balaam, which there was, you know, which was a stumbling block. What was a stumbling block that he did? He got them to deal with idolatry and to commit sex. He knew if they got into sexual sin, that they would fall and that God would then have to judge them. And That was his whole idea is I can't get God to judge them because they're blessed. But if they sin, God will start having to judge them or have to deal with them as a result of the sin. And so there was this this um, doctrinal thing that began to take place. They begin to put up stumbling blocks. Right. They begin to create doctrines, the doctrine of those who hold to the doctrine of Balaam. Right. And it's like, okay, sexual immorality. Look, come on, let's look at our society today. And I know I'm carrying it across. It's like, there's a lot of things to next week. i want to get to piece two, but I want to deal a little bit with this in closing because this is, I want, I always want to look at us. And so one of the things that he was saying about them was all of these things that were happening in the city created an atmosphere for there to be some serious stumbling blocks, specifically talking about, um, uh, immorality with, with sexual, but there are others. And, you know, like I said, we have the abortion issue. That's not, it was implied because they knew what was going on in their society and their society was that they wanted success. You see, you see they were giving their children for success. And need I say anything else about today? We make decisions around success. We want to be successful and so we have these doctrines in our minds their belief systems that we say are more important i want to make sure that i can have only two kids because i don't want to make sure that i have right and so we're doing all these things in our society that be so that we can only you unite know, right? so we can have the, the the right amount of kids and that we have the right job and we want success in the kind of houses we have in the right kind of car and I, I, I mean, I understand, please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I get it. I'm living in this society as well. I'm understanding, but I'm just telling you, this is the underlying, there's some underlying pieces here that he's wanting them to understand. And then the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which I will get back to uh, next week again, because remember we had the doctrine, we we had the first beginnings of, of the Nicolaitans, and now we have it's a doctrine. In other words, it's no longer something that's just being, you know, little bits and pieces. It's now fully immersed into the mindset and the teaching in the church at this point. And it becomes a major issue in, the, in 300. And we'll talk about that next week. We'll dig into 300. We'll look at the issues that really begin to transpire in the early, in the church at that time and how it really plays a role in us today. But if I can say one thing here in closing, it's this, let him who has an ear hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone, and on a stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. So first of all, the hidden manna. Remember that the hidden manna is the word of God, right? Remember, it's the two-edged sword, that's the word. That was the word that was being changed. That was the word that was being compromised. But he's saying, if you, if you hear me, I will speak to you. What is real? I will speak to you. I will show you what is really of my spirit. And if I can just leave it there today and say it is imperative in these days that you and I get a revelation. I've been praying this for some time just in my own personal prayer life. God, I need a revelation of you like John had. John had a revelation of Jesus. He needed that revelation. And I believe that all of us today need a revelation of Jesus for our own personal lives. It's not enough that we have someone and I don't want to get back to teaching, but that's what the Nicolaitan spirit is. It takes out of our hands what God wants to reveal to us and puts it back into the hands of a clergy person or church leadership to tell us rather than God tell us. And he's saying, I want to tell you, I'm going to give you the hidden manna, And I truly believe that we are going to get to the place eventually that if we don't personally hear from God, we are probably going to move off. We're going to be off where we need to be. God, the whole bottom line is that he wants us to be in love with him. We, you know, making, you know, the first commandment first, which is love the Lord God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. That is the first commandment. That really is what he really wants of us. And that has got to become the main focus of all of us that we are loving him with our heart, soul, mind and strength more than anything else so that he can speak to us and tell us what he wants. Tell us where we need to go. Tell us what he needs for us to do. So with that in mind, I just want to leave for this week. Have an awesome week. Have a great week. I bless you in Jesus' name. And uh, we'll talk to you again next week. G-Talk is a ministry of Hope for You International, a 501c3 nonprofit organization. You can find us on the web at thankfultoday.com and gtalk.info. You can also find us on Facebook at The Thankful Today.